talks about the idea that central to our church, central to what's happening right now in this community as a church is a movement or a journey. And that is a movement of being a community coming home to Jesus and his church. So uh, at our core, we're a group of people who are far away from God and we're on a journey back. And last week we talked about how you can't come home to anything without coming home to Jesus first. Uh, he's the one who brings us home. He shows us the way home. He is the way home. And this week, we're rounding things out. We're thinking about what it means to be a community coming home to the church, because we're a community coming home to Jesus and his church. And my big idea for this morning is that, just like last week, we talked about how it's impossible to come home to anything without first coming home to Jesus. So it is impossible to come home to Jesus and then not go home to the church. In God's amazing wisdom, he intended these two things to go together. You encounter the person of Jesus, and then you fall in love with the church. Which might sound weird to some of you guys, like, how is that possible? And just for a quick definition, the church isn't a building. Uh, obviously, Edgewood High, Wilkie Gym is not the church. Uh, it's not a 501c3. The church is us. It's all of God's people gathered together in heaven and on earth. Um, and the church locally gathers to worship and to love God and neighbor and to serve and to be a part of what God's doing. So why and how do Jesus and the church go together? I think this is an important question for us to ask. First, the Bible teaches that the church is the body of Christ. Um, it's not like it is. So if you want to be where Jesus is and you want to encounter him, you want to go to where he's physically present. And the Bible says that that's in the church. So this is the body of Christ. But it goes deeper because the Bible also says that the church is the bride of Christ. So Jesus is in a union with the church. He loves her. The Bible actually makes this crazy statement that human marriage, um, Jesus and the church are not like human marriage. It says that human marriage is like the relationship between Jesus and his church, which is really fascinating. So the church is a sheep not an it, which you may have heard. Uh, a lot of people on our church network like to say that. The church is a sheep, not an it. And just as you would not go up to a husband and say, hey man, I really like you, but your wife is super lame and I want nothing to do with her, but can we still be friends? Uh, where I come from, you would get punched in the face if you said that. You can't say that. So that's one reason why you can't not just come home to Jesus and not then go home to the church. But... The significance goes deeper still, and that is that the church, as the bride of Christ, also acts as our mother. So let me explain what I mean. In God's wisdom, all of you are born into a family. Regardless of what your family situation was like growing up, you did come from one man and one woman. And regardless of what your experience was like in your household growing up, I think we can all agree, whether we've learned this negatively or positively, that mothers and fathers are massively important. To put it another way, there's a reason you're born into a family. Um, so our first Christchurch Madison baby is Goldie Albaugh. We're gonna say hi to Eric back there. Uh, congratulations, Dad. And uh, just as an example, Goldie came into the world immediately with two people staring at her, right? From the second she was born, there were two people who were there, who she came from, who were looking at her and loving her. And that's on purpose. Goldie can't take care of herself, right? 
And both of them are important, but especially at the beginning, Rachel, Eric's wife, is massively important. She is the source. She comes from Rachel. Now think about it. Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus one time, who's this uh, religious guy who's like, what are you all about? He's like testing Jesus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, don't you know that you have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God? Or you have to be born again to use our vision language to come home to Jesus and his church. And guess what? When you are born again, you are not born into a vacuum. You are not born kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God with no one there to look at you or take care of you or help you grow. No, God is our Father, and Christians throughout the centuries who have read their Bibles have understood the church as mother. This blew my mind this week. This means that when you are born again in the faith, you are born into a marriage. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You're born into a marriage who is there to raise you and nourish you and take care of you. You're not born on your own. So church's mother, we see this in that, like Adam and Eve, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, Christ is the firstborn of a new creation, and he has a wife, right? We talked about how Eve's name meant the mother of all living, and that the, as the church, which is taken from the side of Christ, is the mother of all who are born again. Um, we saw this foreshadowed in that beautiful passage that Marissa read from Isaiah 66. Man, uh, love that passage, where Jerusalem is used as the symbol for God's people, who as a mother is consoling and nourishing and mothering her children. I love how it says bouncing on the hip, bouncing on the knees. It's like even in the prophet Isaiah, like she's like there on Jerusalem's hip. I love it. And although we didn't read it in Galatians, Paul actually takes that and ties it to the church as the mother of all Christians. And then we saw this in the gospel passage that Caitlin read, where people come to Jesus and say, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And what does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Everybody who hears and does the will of God, i.e. God's people. So the church is mother, as well as the bride of Christ. Let me just read you two awesome quotes from really old, dead Christians, okay? The first one is from St. Cyprian of Carthage, and this guy was alive when the Colosseum was like being finished, and he lived in North Africa, so this is way long ago. He says this, Thus do the church, bathed in the light of the Lord, extends her branches over the whole earth in fruitful abundance. She extends her richly flowing streams far and wide, Yet her head is one, and her source is one, and she is the one mother, copious in the results of her fruitfulness. Say that to your mom this week. Mother, you're just copious in the results of your fruitfulness. But then he goes on to say, he can no longer have God for his father, who has not the church for his mother. And if you're like, that's way too old and too Catholic for me. Here is John Calvin, who's somebody in a completely different context, 1,300 years later in a completely different part of the world. He says this, To the church under God, we owe it that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. He's quoting the Bible there. And from her, we obtain the milk and the food by which we are afterwards nourished. Such are the reasons why the church is called the mother of believers, and certainly he who refuses to be a son or daughter of the church in vain desires to have God as his father. For it is only through the instrumentality of the church, it's a big word, that we are born of God. 
and brought up through the various stages of childhood and youth till we arrive at manhood and womanhood. For what God has joined together, let no man separate. Do you see that? How you cannot come home to Jesus. You can't begin a relationship with Jesus and not then come home to his bride. It's impossible. You just can't do it. But what I really want us to think about this morning and ponder is that I think deep down we want and we long to come home to the church. Or to put it another way, we long for mom. We have this palpable father hunger for God, and I think we have a mother hunger to fit into the church. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is use this biblical analogy uh, to talk about three characteristics of the church. I don't think I've preached one sermon where I haven't had like three somethings. I swear I don't intend to do that, it just happens. Uh, three characteristics about the church as the mother of all believers that I think deep down we need and long for. If you're here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian and you've been following Jesus and you feel this hunger, I hope this gives some new vocabulary. Uh, I hope it ignites the, that fire for your love and commitment for the church. If you're here and all this is super confusing and you're new to the faith, um, I hope this kind of broadens your imagination of what church is and what it could be. Maybe it'll move it from the scale of like super boring, I don't want to be a part of it at all, to like, wow, that's actually kind of cool and might want to be involved in this. And also, I just want you to know that as I've been so massively blessed by this metaphor of the church's mother this week, it's really knocked my socks off. I've also been keenly pastorally aware of how sensitive the topic of motherhood can be in general to lots of us. And I just want you to know this metaphor that we're going to talk about this morning is not meant to bear the burden of so many conversations we could have about mothers and fathers and the like. I want you to know I'm sensitive to those. I'm not trying to overextend this to say anything it's not meant to say. That being said, this is the biblical metaphor we're working with, and I actually think it's so deeply ennobling and beautiful. You guys hear me on that? Yeah. Okay. Three characteristics of the church. Number one, nurture and nourishment. If you've ever hung out, hung out with babies or kids, your life is consumed with two things. Trying to love your children and trying to feed your children. Can I get an amen? Endless mm -hmm. uh, skinned knees and wiping of tears and trying to comfort and like tell your kids it's going to be okay. And endless wiping of faces and tables and setting tables and cleaning up and cooking again. The church provides both for us, food and love. And everybody needs this. I don't care if you're just a kid. But to begin with nurture, love, the church is this place where we're meant to receive warm, relentless unconditional love. It's the place where you're meant to fit in, where you're able to build that muscle in all of us to trust, to know, to be known, to belong, and therefore, like a mother, the church is meant to be a refuge for us. Sometimes when my eldest son, James, gets hurt, he literally will run past me to Marissa. It's like we're in a hallway and he's like super, I'm like, oh buddy, and he'll literally like cry right past me to find where Marissa is. And I'm okay with that, because uh, when he's on his back foot, he wants mom, and I get it. And I think when we grow older, we don't lose, lose that impulse. I heard a story once of a soldier in World War I, who in the depth of horror in the trenches, just viscerally and instinctively cried out, mother, 
His mom was across the world, but still, at his core, he cried out for his mother. Listen to this language from 1 Thessalonians, okay? Look at it real, real quick with me. Charlie read this. I just want you to see how shocking this is. Somebody call out the page number. Eight. Eight. I feel like it's always on eight. Um, okay, verse seven. This is a church leader talking to church people. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. It almost makes you blush. <laughs> so open, so vulnerable, so gentle and sweet. I feel like in our culture, if I like immediately said that to people, it'd be like, whoa, like back up. <laughs> I love it though. I love how Paul says, we weren't just sharing you the gospel. It's like, we weren't just here to preach at you. We were here to share, to open ourselves up in this beautiful intimacy and warmth. So the church is where you receive nurture. And alongside nurture, the church provides nourishment. Um, 1 Peter 2, which is a book in the New Testament, right before it talks about how the church is like a spiritual house, and we've read that a few times as a church, it says this, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And elsewhere, in two other books in the Bible, it uses this analogy that we as Christians, we grow. First we take milk, and then we take solid food, and it's the church where that food is served, where we are nourished. So when we're, we're born again and we need just milk, we get it in the church. When we're big sweaty spiritual teenagers and we need lots more food and we're hungry two chipotle burritos back to back which when i was in youth ministry i watched like 16 year old boys just pound two chipotle burritos back to back we get it in the church the church is up to the task the kitchen is never closed and the bible always connects the word and the milk that we need to the word of god and the feast of the lord's supper and we always serve it so that's the first characteristic, love and food, nurture and nourishment. Number two, truth and beauty. Truth and beauty. Um, I thought about this this week as children. My favorite analogy for kids, which I heard somebody say one time, it's never left me, is that our minds are like wet concrete as a kid. And they're meant to be shaped. And chances are for most of us, our mothers played a massive role in that shaping, uh, at least for me. Uh, speaking personally, I've realized that if you cut me to the core, so much of my moral and artistic imagination was shaped by my mom and the Bible, like Winnie the Pooh, Reading Rainbow, and Egg Sandwiches. Um, I have these images and memories of my mom being on the ground with me, like putting beautiful things in front of me, true things in front of me, and helping me shape my idea of goodness and virtue, of beauty. And... In a similar way, God has designed the church to be the great shaper of our imaginations and our, our concrete, if you will. So she's not only the place where you are loved and fed, she's the place where you're formed. So you hear churches talk about formation. She's the place where we are meant to be brought up in and shaped and formed. And with truth and beauty, those things should always go together in our faith. One of my pastors in England always used to say, the gospel is true because it's beautiful, 
and it's beautiful because it's true. 1 Timothy 3, book in the New Testament, says that the church is the household of God. It's the pillar and buttress of truth. Such an awesome title. Maybe that should be our visit statement. Christ Church Madison, the pillar and buttress of truth. That'll be the tagline. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, you get these awesome images where guys say that the church is, we're like stewards of the mysteries of God. We're the people who get to carry and shelter the mysteries of God. We're guardians of the deposit of faith. So God has spoken such beautiful and true things in history. He's done such beautiful and true things throughout history. And it's almost like in the middle of this crazy world, which is so full of vitriol and ugliness that can pollute your soul. The church is the one who gets in front of you and puts beautiful and true things in front of you to shape your imagination with truth and beauty. It's true because it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's true. Listen to these words from, from Philippians 4. Listen to the, the adjectives. Finally, this is a church leader encouraging some churches. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, those are already three amazing ones, but it keeps on going. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's not just answers to questions. Did you get that? It's not like a theological, like, fill in the blank if you know the right religious answer. Although it certainly is that, it's more. It's what's lovely, what's commendable and honorable and excellent and just. So coming home to the church means coming home to a place where you are formed. We believe truth exists at Christ Church Madison. And we believe in beauty. We believe in the way that things feel and look and sound, even in a place like Wilkinson and Edgewood High School. Because God cares about those things. God creates all that is true and beautiful. Okay, third characteristic of the church that I propose to you we all need and long for is authority and challenge. Um, you should know there are no church planting books anywhere that recommend on the third day of your like church plant launch month saying that what we all really long for is the authority and challenge of love and church. <laughs> Nobody recommends you to do that. I know what I'm saying is insane, but I think that we are starving for it. So hear me out. Authority and challenge. If you've had the privilege of seeing the great cinematic masterpiece, Mean Girls, that you will be familiar with the concept of the cool mom. Mean Girls is about a group of very, if you haven't seen it, uh, I don't know if I would recommend it, I mean, whatever. I'm just gonna stop talking about it. It's about a group of very popular, snotty high school girls, and one day they go home to the alpha girl's house, and when they all get to the house, the mom, played by Amy Poehler and dressed in pink velour, comes out and she tries to talk like a teenager and like, you know, commiserate with the girls. And then she says, hey, just so you guys know, there's no rules in this house. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. You guys know the scene I'm talking about. Uh, since that movie, the idea of a cool mom has become somewhat of a cultural trope. There's lots of memes about it. She's the mom that lets you do whatever you want. She wants to get in all your gossip. She wants to be like her teenage daughters, and she wants them to like 
her so much, she'll let them do anything, and she'll do anything to make them like her, to get their approval. And I want to suggest that we are a generation, culturally speaking, culturally speaking, not necessarily from your family, raised by cool mom. And sometimes the church, as a mother, has unfortunately taken on this persona to try to get people to like her. So in a weird figurative way, the church has tried to put on pink velour jumpsuit and said, like me, you can do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Just don't leave me, just like me. And I want to propose to you that deep down we all resent and are crippled by cool mom. Mean Girls is a ditzy comedy. And even in Mean Girls, right after she says this, I think it's fascinating. I'm a cool mom. She looks at her daughter and goes, right? And the daughter goes, stop talking, and forces her out of the room. The daughter completely resents her, even in the comedy movie. Let me give you a true story just to drive this home. Uh, one of my mentors is, is grown up now. He has kids in high school. And uh, he told me this story one time about how when he was in high school and in the prime of a very rebellious stage, um, when he was hard in the middle of a lot of booze and drugs and lots of other bad stuff, he got busted by the cops. And he said, you know, he's sitting on the curb with red lights flashing and was just full of shame, bottom of the barrel. And what he was most terrified of was the moment where he had to go and knock on the door of his house and face his parents with cop flashlights behind him. And he said when the moment with his parents came, they kind of slapped him on the wrist and just didn't really care. And quote, uh, he didn't tell me this for this sermon, this was just in a conversation. He said, I've never felt more alone in my life than that moment. He knew that he, he'd reached this limit. He's put, he put his foot on a line that he was going to cross, and there was an abyss on the other side of it. And he found out that his parents really weren't concerned about pulling him back. So he felt alone. The people we most respect in life, the people who challenge us and make us the best, our best selves, the people who we most want to emulate are those with authority who love us enough to challenge us. Just to go back to the mom analogy, I feel like the best moms are the ones who are full of love and grace and full of challenge and authority. There's standards in the house. Uh-uh, you can't do that in this, this house, whatever. It's a bad mom imitation. You feel me, though. <laughs> um, the church is the same, and I think, and I can tell you a lot more stories, I think we're hungry for it. I know it's crazy to say, but I think people long for an authority and someone who wants to challenge them and call them to a higher standard. Look at 1 Thessalonians again. This is our New Testament passage. Okay? Right after, this is what's so beautiful about this, right after the gentle, most warm, language. Uh, look in verse 9. Let's just finish it. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children. Listen to this. We exhorted. Exhort is like an encouragement word that has a little bit of a, a challenge to it. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I could read a thousand other verses, but I just like that this is 
paired with all that nurturing language. So the church is meant to call you to a higher standard. You're not alone. And the church is meant to be the place where if you do reach a line in an abyss, they do love you enough to catch you and bring you back. And she has the authority to do that because Jesus himself gave her the authority. Amen? Amen. I think deep down we want this. And of course we don't want challenge without love. That's a tyrant. That's oppressive. But that's why this is paired with nurture and nourishment, truth and beauty. It's a combination of those that makes the church so lovely. Okay, so to summarize, coming home to Jesus means coming home to the church. If you're interested in Christianity, um, it's going to be this amazing mix of falling in love with Jesus and then realizing that you're being raised in a marriage and you're in the middle of all these other people who love Jesus too and who love you. It's amazing. And I think we all long for that because of nurture and nourishment, truth and beauty, and challenge and authority. I want to finish by saying two things. First, I haven't said this yet or addressed it, but some of you might have thought it. I know church isn't perfect. I know you've probably been hurt in the church. I know. I have been hurt too. A lot. And I also know that this probably makes this conversation hard. And I also wonder, even if using words like truth and authority or mother uh, make this conversation even harder. You know, so you might be thinking, how can you say that when fill in the blank? I think those things, and I want you to know that I get it. But it is the best things gone bad that make the worst things. It is the best things gone bad that make the worst things. What are the best things? Family, right? Relationships. Love, marriage. What has the greatest capacity to hurt us? Same things. The best things gone bad make the worst things. But just because good things can be soured doesn't mean we give up on good things. Doesn't mean you, you scrap the idea of family or marriage or relationships because it's hard. No, you protect it. You reform it. You seek after it. You long to to pursue it with a community. Christ Church is not perfect. The church is not perfect. But Jesus loves her with all her imperfections because he loves you with all your imperfections and me with all my imperfections. Amen? Amen. And Jesus loves her. And when we fall in love with Jesus, that means we will love her too. And I have to say, even though I've been wounded, by the church, and I've, I've seen lots of ugliness. Also, the greatest moments in my life with relationships and community and flourishing and forgiveness and grace have been inside, deep in the church. Not even a question. The most beautiful things I've experienced in this, and that's our prayer for Christ Church Madison, is that we would all experience everything I'm talking about. Amen? Last thing. Even though there's reasons to not like the church, there's reasons to not want to come home to church. I also want you to know that there are powers in this world that would love for you to hate church and stay as far away as you can. One of the greatest themes in the Bible is that evil always seeks to attack women, particularly in labor, blot out childbirth, and kill new life. When God's people are in slavery in Egypt and Moses is being born, Pharaoh literally orders all the soldiers to come and kill all the Hebrew children. He's trying to blot it out. 
to stop it. Moses only gets away by being like that in a basket and going down the Nile River, for goodness sake. Can you imagine doing that with your child? When Jesus is born, you have to take this out of the context of Hallmark cards and like bad movies. When Jesus is born, it is the ultimate picture of vulnerability. Okay? If you've ever been even close to someone giving birth or have given birth yourself, can you imagine not having a place to go outside in the wilderness? And it is only in a barn that Jesus is born. And what happens right after Jesus is born? The same exact thing. Herod orders all Jewish children to be killed. It's this deep attack on all the children who are being born. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 12, if you want to go read this, this is actually there. This theme reaches its, its apocalyptic pitch and metaphor. And there's a woman who is the church, who is in labor, and there is a red dragon right in front of her as she's about to give birth. And it literally says the dragon is waiting to devour her children when they are born. And that is a picture of the church. Evil always attacks the new life and the mother of the living because she is the one who gives birth to new life. She is the vehicle which God has chosen. She's Jesus' bride that brings about all of us who are being born again. So the enemy wants to attack her and stop it. He wants to fracture our unity. He wants to make us not like the church and not fall in love with the church because she's our mother. So at the same time, I know church isn't perfect, okay? I know. I also want you to, to open up yourself to leaning in and knowing that there would be a lot of people, a lot of forces that would love for you to stay away as far as you can. And lastly, just to finish, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of God is that in all those situations, God protects the woman in childbirth and children. Moses is sheltered away. Jesus, of course, even in the most vulnerable of situations, is born in a manger. Uh, in Revelation 12, even though the dragon is right there, it says that God wisps away the woman and all her children and protects them even though a red dragon is literally trying to devour them. I want to finish with the words of Jesus. He said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? Amen. We are a community coming home to Jesus and his church. In the name of the Father, the Son, 